I talked a little bit last night about having arrows and uh, just feeling like my quiver is full coming over here. And as Kim was just releasing this place of uh, God chasing after you, I was reminded of an encounter that marked me. And I love having memorial stones in my life. And uh, I was in first year of school ministry at Bethel in 2002, and we were being taught how to soak in God's presence. Uh, it's an incredible place to just soak in his presence and learning how to rest in the Lord, to receive from the Lord. And, and uh, I remember just lying on the floor, just listening to uh, soaking music, and the father came and encountered me and said, Chad, I want to play catch with you. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like fun. Let's play catch. And then he looks at me and smiles. He picks me up, twirls me around about three times and slingshots me hundreds of feet into the air. And I get caught by Jesus. He doesn't say a word. He just smiles, spins me around three or four times, and then rocket launches me into the air. And then the father picks, you know, catches me. I didn't realize playing catch with God, I was the ball. This happened for hours, hours, and I've had amazing encounters with God where he's given me assignments. I've had Isaiah 6 moments. I've had, you know, times where God's like, I've given you an anointing to clear out hospitals and, you know, giving you a call to this nation and that nation. But I love that God marked me for friendship for relationship, for intimacy, no other agenda to, you know, do the works of service or it was that place of heart connection. So I just released that over you, that as God chases you down, he chases you down with his love as a father would, you know, that I love wrestling with my kids where, you know, we're just having so much fun. Obviously, I'm a little stronger than them. So I can, you know, if I wanted to put the hurt in, I could, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to restrain myself where we are laughing. We are, you know, I'm letting them pin me down. Oh, you know, they, you, they, you, they've got me and the whole deal. And it's, it's this place of connection. And I feel like the father is crashing in in this season, and it's this place of, I want to connect with you. I want to play with you, like a father plays with his son, with his daughter. Now, that will break the religious spirit. There is no other agenda but connection and love. So, Lord, we just thank you for that. And then we hit this surrender thing and worship. And, you know, I was going to go more after this tonight. So this will be a, a, a teaser for tonight. But I feel like there is a healing wave that's crashing into Australia. And it's a healing wave for mental health. But one of the keys to begin to discover the God of hope, as we read in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope come upon you that he would give you all joy. All peace, not some, not most, not just for the prophets and the apostles, but those that trust in him. You receive all peace, all joy. You encounter the God of hope when you trust in him. And that trust and surrender are one of the greatest worship services you could ever enter in. And you don't need a band. You don't need some musical instruments. It is a place of trust. 
It's like the doorway of trust and surrender brings you into the room where the God of hope dwells. And so some of you might be dealing with anxiety or depression or, you know, uh, sleepless nights, whatever it may be. The God of hope wants to crash into your life. But it comes from a place of surrender. I journeyed with Bill Johnson where we would see cancer healed in 2002 and 2003. And I remember uh, a man got healed of pancreatic cancer in 2003. And, you know, Bill and I were just crying, thanking the Lord. And then in, later on in 2003, Bill's dad, Earl, uh, gets diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And we begin to contend for Earl. I'd go to his house. Uh, you know, we, we helped him out going to Santa Maria Healing Rooms uh, down in Southern, you know, Central California. And we went on this journey of contending for Bill's dad. And then Bill's dad graduated. He went to be home with his father. And Bill was grieving. And he had a word about canceling everything. You know, all the conferences, speaking on Sunday to Bethel, speaking in first year school ministry. But school ministry was pretty small in that season. There was only like 43 of us in second year. And he, you know, really made a decision of, hey, these students, they know me. They've been journeying with me for a year. And I'm going to just meet with them. And we would meet in a uh, classroom at our BS, uh, BCS school, our Bethel Christian School Elementary School, in like the third grade room on couches, and Bill would just cry, and he would show us, you know, emails of, you know, various leaders saying, hey, this is what happens when you decree a cancer-free zone, and bigger levels, bigger devils, and, and he was just, you know, really having to go through and reset his theology, and he would just cry and say, I am at this place of simplicity that God is good, devil is bad, God is the healer, devil brings sickness. But I'll never forget, we're like four months into this grieving, and, and, and he's just processing and becoming vulnerable with us second-year students, and he began to tell us, I'm learning to worship all over again. That in heaven, I'll have all the answers. But here I am on the planet. And I have seen the miracle worker. I have seen the healer crash in and cancer bow to Jesus so many times. But my dad was taken by cancer. That my circumstance is screaming at me that I didn't see him come in as the healer. And so it's an opportunity that I'll never have in heaven that I get the opportunity to worship him because he's worthy, to worship him as the healer, even though my circumstance is screaming at me the opposite. I am choosing to trust. I'm choosing to embrace mystery, that I would begin to surrender and worship the healer, and that it releases a fragrance to heaven that we'll never have the opportunity to do in when we're in heaven. And I know there's a lot of people that you've gone through circumstances. You've gone through different deals in the last couple of years. And that if you would begin to embrace mystery, that you'd begin to choose to worship him, even though you might be going through a storm, that you have this place of trust, it, it begins to allow the God of hope to crash in. So Lord, let there be 
incredible worship service of trust and surrender, just like we had just a few moments ago. We choose to trust you, Daddy. And it's good to take a drink as well as you trust. It really helps. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord breaks the yoke of the enemy. It's a position of victory. He who sits in the heavens and laughs over the plans of the enemy. It's important when we are in seasons of increased warfare that you do not live in the second heaven. Go and visit, but be rooted and grounded in the third heaven, positioned with your father who sits in the heavens and laughs over the plans of the enemy. If you are feeling a little tired, a little weary, you might have been hanging out in the second heaven a little too long. It's totally fine to go and visit there, but you got to be rooted and grounded in the third heaven. That is your identity. That is your home. Yes. Yes. Jesus. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk to you guys this morning about courage. Hey. And I feel like the Lord is releasing courage in this hour. My name, Chad, means spiritual warfare, uh, warrior. I'm a spiritual warrior. Michael means friend of God. And Deadman, Deadman means I'm dead to the world and alive in Christ. So I'm a spiritual warrior who's a friend of God who's dead to the world. But it's important that as God raises up warriors that we're not just, you know, attacking the enemy and being in this place of, wow, I want to just go after the enemy, that we are consumed with God's presence. That is our warfare. Yeah. And it's very intriguing, you know, the last three years and really feeling, especially in America where I'm from, and knowing that this is pretty much going on around the world, that there really is a spirit of fear that's been attacking the generations. But you have to understand that when there is fear, it's like a crossroads. That there is this left-hand turn to agree with the spirit of fear, or you begin to take courage, and you begin to go down the right-hand path where you begin to choose courage. It's interesting with Joshua 1, where the angel of the Lord says several times to Joshua, take courage, do not be afraid. Yeah. I mean, do you think the angel of the Lord thought maybe Joshua was hard of hearing? <laughs> Why did he repeat it? It was because it was an impartation service. Every time the angel of the Lord released that decree, take courage, it was an opportunity. It was an invitation. It was something for Joshua to receive, to recognize that fear is knocking on the door, but there is an opportunity for courage. When you need courage, that means there's going to be scary things around. If you're going to be a giant killer, that means you're going to come across some giants. How about this? If you're called to live in the promised land, you're probably going to kill some giants. And Jesus is the promised land. 
You have Jesus talking to his disciples in the, in, the, in the storm. He says, do not be afraid. It is I. Do not be afraid. Take courage. He says it like three times. Do not be afraid. He is breaking the spirit of fear and releasing courage. But courage has to be wrapped up in love. As we read in 1 John 4, verse 18, that perfect love casts out fear. That love crashes in and eradicates fear. But there's something connected to courage and love. Jesus, just rock us today. Yes. Courageous warriors filled with compassion. I've been on a crazy prayer journey over the last several years. I've been in a whole uptick of intercession really since 2015, but two years ago in February, I started doing these prayer paddles. And it's so uh, amazing to go out on a paddleboard and to pray and take the land. It's very much Joshua 1.3, wherever your feet tread, I give you that land as your inheritance. And it's been so amazing talking with Tim about all of his hiking and, you know, all stuff where I'm like, oh, man, he, you know, he, he gets it. There's something about adventure. There's something about, you know, this place of taking the land where you connect with the Father. And intercession is all about perspective. Jesus would hike up to the mountaintop and weep over Jerusalem. He let Jerusalem cut him deep, that he let the land cut him deep. It's important that we let our land cut us deep and the people that dwell in it. Yeah. You know, in Matthew 9, Jesus was with the people and he realized they were sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion on them and then he began to heal them. That is a great example of how to be in vertical intercession and horizontal intercession at the same time. He was always connected to his dad. He was always connected vertically, but also he was connected to the people. He allowed people to cut him deep. You know, you see with Zacchaeus, where Zacchaeus heard about the stories of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus. He's like, man, I'm not going to miss my opportunity. When Jesus walks through Jericho, when he begins to minister through Jericho, I am going to pull on Jesus. I can't wait to see this man. And, it set, and then it talks about where Jesus was like, all right, what are we doing, Dad? Oh, we're passing through. We're not, we're not ministering. We're passing through Jericho. And so he goes on through Jericho, and then you have Zacchaeus, who says he's a, a short man, and there was a crowd, a multitude of people, and he couldn't see Jesus. He could have got offended at God. You're the one that made me this size. I'm going to go tax more people. But he was childlike. He was full of hunger that he did something childish where he climbed up a sycamore tree. And what did Jesus say? Because of your faith. Salvation is going to come to your household. I'm going to come and eat with you. He was planning to pass by. Dad, what are we doing? Okay, we're passing by. But then Zacchaeus, he allowed Zacchaeus to cut him deep. Come on. Come on. 
So it's this place of vertical, horizontal, and I shared a little bit last night about you know, what's going on in America with our drug epidemic and how many people are overdosing with you know, heroin and fentanyl and you know, different deals of Oxycontin and the whole deal. And it's, it's, been a, it's been a whirlwind that in 2021, the reports came out that we've lost 106,000 Americans in one year. 106,000 Americans. So you have to understand, all right, I'm recognizing what the enemy is doing. So I'm going to be courageous and I'm going to get on the front lines and I'm going to begin to invite God to bring solutions, to bring an anointing that breaks the yoke of the enemy. So for this last two years, I have been ministering in drug and alcohol treatment centers like, like a bunch and I remember showing up to one treatment center. I'd never been there before. And this guy's waiting for me in the foyer. He's waiting for me in the front of the treatment center. And he's like, oh, Chad. He knew my name. Never been here before. He goes, oh, Chad, I've been waiting for you all morning. You know, you really ministered to me uh, 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 three or four months ago. And I'm like, I've never been here. Like, I'm telling him, I've never been here. That must have been somebody else. No, 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 it was you. You're Chad. Like, you, you, you ministered to me. And I'm going back and forth, and I'm, like, talking to God. And the God's like, just, just put up the white flag. Just, you know, lean in. <laughs> and he has a sweatshirt on, and I can see that he's dealing with unforgiveness. He, something with himself. He's dealing with self-hatred. And, and, I, and, I, and I ask him, what's going on? And he goes, well, I got heroin and I gave it to my fiance and I went to the bathroom and I came back and she overdosed. She died. And he was like, I killed my fiance. And I'm like, bro, you have this self-hatred deal going on that there's a spirit of suicide on you. And he starts shaking. He pulls down his sweatshirt sleeves and there's bandages for him cutting his wrists, attempting suicide. So I began to take authority and break off this spirit of suicide and told them, you need to forgive yourself. Sometimes the hardest person to forgive is yourself. And then these other, the group of three people, they're like watching and a little bit, you know, intrigued and all that stuff. But then I look over and I see a Ouija board hovering over that group. And I'm like, one of you has a Ouija board that you mess with and you have an evil spirit that chokes you in the middle of the night. And this guy raises his hand. And I'm like, where's the Ouija board? He goes, it's under my bed. Go get it. We burn that thing. We release like deliverance. And then we end up baptizing all of them in a community pool. But see that? You have to go out into the rehab center. It takes courage. Go to the front lines. That you have Joshua leading a generation of giant killers where they are no longer running from the enemy as Moses was leading the Israelites, where they were running from the Egyptians and they had the parting of the Red Sea. Now you have Joshua's generation going into the land of giants and they have the parting of the River Jordan. They're running towards the enemy. Greater is he that's in me that he is in the world. He's got your back. All of heaven has your back. But it takes courage. But it also takes this place of love that 
When Paul was writing Corinthians and he was writing Corinthians 12 and about the spiritual gifts and the power of God, he didn't like take a nap after writing chapter 12 and then take a walk and, and you know, got in this romantic, you know, like place and wrote the best chapter on love. And then he went back to the spiritual gifts in chapter 14. It is so critical that in the middle of two of the best chapters on the spiritual gifts and the power of God that you have one of the greatest places of love. Because I've seen witches move in power, but they're not moving in love. I'll never forget going to Brazil with Randy Clark and Bill Johnson, and we would rotate. You know, I would go speak at one place, and then the next night, Bill would go where I was, and then I would go where Randy was, and we'd always, you know, talk at like 1 a.m., and we would just share the testimonies. We saw over 18,000 people get healed. We saw 12,000 people get saved. We saw 9,000 people get set free and delivered. And so we're talking one of the first nights, and, and Randy goes, wow, that was one of the worst nights of ministry ever. It just fell flat. And then I look at the schedule. Am I there tomorrow? Please don't let me be there tomorrow night. And it's Bill Johnson. And I'm like, oh, Bill. Bill will, you know, break that thing. He has this authority deal. And so the next night, you know, we're eating pasta at 2 a.m. And Bill goes, wow, that was one of the hardest nights of ministry ever. I'm like, oh, no. Look at the schedule. I'm like, I'm there the next night. And I've got like 60 teenagers with me from America. And then I've got about 40 Brazilian youth with me. And so I've got a team of 100 and we go into this church of about 800 people. It was a Catholic church. And I'm preaching very simple message, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And, you know, tag your it, John 14, 12, and the whole deal. And it's just falling flat. And then one of the interpreters for Global Awakening comes up and whispers to me, and goes, hey, this guy who is the pastor is, is, is not translating you. He's speaking a whole different message. And it's completely opposite of what you're saying. So I'm like, well, then I guess we'll just throw the preaching aside. Let's demonstrate. So I get the youth up and we, you know, start calling out words of knowledge. And, you know, like the youth would be like, oh, there's pain in someone's lower back. No one would respond. It's like 800 people. No one would respond. And then, you know, another youth like, oh, somebody here, you have vision problems, vision impairments. And, you know, there's several people with glasses and no one's responding. And I just, I just like something in me, just that breaker anointing, like, like they, Bill was here, Randy was here. And I was like, oh man, it's on. Like something is like, it, you know, they were pushing on that rock and I just got to, you know, bat cleanup, which I don't know. That's an American expression for baseball, but they did all the hard work. And I, I, I said something a little cheeky to the pastor, and I go, oh, wow. And I started clapping, like, thank you, like, pastor, this is one of the healthiest churches ever. Like, you know, like, well, we came here to minister to you, but obviously you need to minister to us. And I was being maybe a little facetious, but I was hitting something in the spirit. And I went into the crowd, and I grabbed someone's glasses, and I'm like, so in Brazil, this is a fashion statement. You don't need this because you have vision problems. This is if you're cool. And I grab someone else who has a cast on his arm and I go, so is this a weapon in Brazil? Because you didn't like injure yourself. Is this like, you know, and he goes, no, I broke it two days ago. 
And I'm like, all right, get up on the stage. We're going to see the power of God. And I started praying for tangible fire, tangible heat. And he goes, it's on fire. It's on heat. And I'm like, okay, the Holy Spirit is marking him, is doing the healing. So I went to the pastor. I'm like, hey, where's your main custodian guy? I need a saw. So he saw the thing on the, on the stage. And then he starts doing push-ups. He starts crying. I couldn't do this. And then people go, I got back problems. I've got eye, you know, vision problems. And so we do a fire tunnel and, you know, people are getting rocked. And then they begin to, you know, the, the leaders say, hey, we have a lady in this back room that's, that's manifesting. And she has uh, rheumatary arthritis and she has her own little makeshift cot. And as I'm walking, asking about what's going on, they begin to tell me that she is a witch in the region that has killed 14 people by cursing people's hearts to stop. And I'm like, game on, let's go. So I go in there, and this is the deal, is you can be courageous, but you have to have love. You have to let people cut you deep. And I saw this woman who was so oppressed and possessed by the enemy, and my heart broke. And I could just feel God's heart for this lady. So I, you know... I began to engage with her and her eyeballs were going like a slot machine, you know, and the whole deal. And, and, and I'm just praying and, and, and I'm just, you know, I, I ask her, I'm like, hey, we're going to invite the father to speak to you right now. You're going to hear the father's voice. And then I did that. And I'm like, what's the father saying? And she would be like, he's telling me to kill everybody in the building, to set the room on fire, to kill you, to, for your heart to stop. And I'm like, that's not the father. So silence that voice. And then God started crashing into her life. She started hearing the Father's voice for the first time, saying that I'm his daughter, that he loves me, he forgives me. How can he forgive me? I've killed people. And then the, the Father started loving him. And then Julia runs into the room. She's saying, hey, the, the, they're, they're, our youth are being bitten. There's people manifesting demons in the fire tunnel and they're biting our teenagers and we're getting them all on the bus. We're leaving. We're getting out of here. And there was something in me where I was like, leave me. I can't leave this woman halfway delivered. Like there was this thing in me of, I, I, I know that I know that I know the gift of faith. This woman has been tormented and her torment days are over. I'm in Sao Paulo, like a city of like, you know, 10 million or so. And I don't know where I am. And I'm like, just leave me. <laughs> it's courage with love. So we've been doing these crazy prayer paddles. And we've gone about almost 2,000 miles praying. And it's been amazing. And in January of 2022, I ministered in Portland, Oregon. And Chris Overstreet and his crew tells me that there's been covens of witches going out on paddle boards, <laughs> cursing the land. And this is the assignment God has given me to take the waterways. You want to redig wells of ancient pathways, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters before land was formed. That's ancient pathways. And I'm like, wait, what? Witches are taking the waterways through paddleboarding? The assignment that God has given me? 200 witches. 
So I decided, no, not on my watch. I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to live in caves. If this is my assignment, then God has given me an anointing and an authority to take the land, even in the presence of witches. I'm not going to be scared. They don't get to own that land. We'll go out there. So my buddy Eunice and I and about 18 others, there was 20 of us. Eunice is doing third year with me. It's good to have armor bearers and brothers and sisters that are running together. And so we went out this last October. It's the Saturday before Halloween that all these witches get together. And we took communion in the midst of all these witches in the parking lot. And then we began to paddle out and there's 400 witches. There, we'll do a video in a second, but we were paddling. And one time I started screaming, oh, I'm being possessed. I'm in the middle of a possession. I'm being possessed by the greatest spirit, the spirit that brings me comfort and peace, the spirit that leads me to my father in heaven. This spirit wants to possess you. And this like group of like, you know, 20 witches are looking at me like, what in the world is this guy talking about? Look at that. They're agreeing. They got their paddles in the air. The witches are agreeing for the goodness of God to crash in. And then in the end there, you would have these witches say, hey, what are you doing? Where's your costume? And I would look at them and be like, oh, I'm wearing my costume. It's in the inside. It's Jesus. And they'd be like, wait, what? And then it was so amazing because it was such a picture of the opposite spirit that we were going, you know, upriver and they were going downriver. And so, you know, you'd have these mini confrontations that wouldn't last very long because they're going down and I'm going up. And they'd be like, no, 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 you can't do it. And then, you know, we'd be like 50, 60 meters apart at that time and be like, see ya. I'm going to keep going. Like, it's pretty easy when you're sitting in your living room, sipping on coffee, reading your Bible, saying, hey, greater is he that's in me that's in the world. But when you get around 400 witches, and it's not the focus of the witchcraft and the demonic, the focus is how big my God is. But I could feel like Gideon, he put me on like a glove. Because when you're in the face of the enemy, you become dependent on the Father. But it's all about love that I would be paddling and I would see these witches and they, you could see the oppression. You could see, and my heart would break that these are human beings. That, that Jesus died on the cross for them. That God made them in, the, in his image. He desires relationship with them. And so who is going to bring the light? I would have all these intercessors contact me say, oh, we were all aware of the witches and the paddling, and we usually go the day after. We never knew you could go out there. And I'm like, of course you could go out there. I know we're, we're almost out of time here, and I just wanted to hit this deal of, I was going to make this a legal meeting and read from the Bible, so I'll just paraphrase, but... It's interesting that Jonathan, David, these guys were men of courage, that there really was a spirit of fear in the land. They were hiding in caves, that the Philistines were surrounding 
Saul and Jonathan and the armies of the living God. And Jonathan looks at his armor bearer in 1 Samuel 14. He's like, I got a good idea. Let's go take out this Philistine outpost. It was this place of courage. And the military strategy was ridiculous. Let's give away, you know, the element of surprise. Let's give away our position. We will call out to them and give away our position. And if they say, come up here, God's given them to our, into our hand. And the armor bearer, so amazing. He didn't get downloaded with, you know, the strategy from God. He's like, hey, I'll do whatever is in your heart. I'll back you up. And they are climbing hand and, 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 you know, and their knees. They're crawling up the mountain. It's not good. You don't fight uphill. You, wanna, you want the high ground. And they take out a garrison. And, and, and even the Philistines, look, the Israelites are coming out of their caves. And it was an act of courage that broke the spirit of fear over a nation. And then the Israelites begin to come out to fight, and there is a spirit of confusion on the Philistines, and they begin to kill one another. The enemy has your back. But it takes you running towards the enemy. That when David was coming in to, you know, check out what is going on with Goliath and the Philistines taunting the armies of the living God and them hiding in tents for 40 days, his older brother goes, oh, you, I know why you came down here. You came down here to be a spectator. You're not being responsible. You're not doing your job. And he's actually giving him the wrong kind of impartation. He's actually putting on David what he is struggling with. And David's like, I don't have time to argue with you. I am running towards this Philistine. As a 14-year-old boy. So the Lord is asking for courage. But wrapped up in love. And we're going to share this last video as we land the plane. And I hand it over. That this was an act of courage. That my compassion was breaking for this, this man who was hit by a drunk driver, and he was a surfer, and he had five sons. When he had the accident, was run over, his youngest son was like five months, six months old, and his second youngest was just below two years old, and his three oldest, he took surfing, but his two youngest, he never had, and my heart broke that every father should have rites of passage moments with their kids. And so on Father's Day 2021, we took him out surfing with his sons. This is this, go ahead and throw it up there. <clears throat> what a privilege. That's courage. That's love. The Lord told me years ago, I'm going to give you wineskins and strategies, how to be a city on a hill, how to let your light shine. The days of running the lost down are over, that they're going to run out, they're going to jump in the boat, they're going to run after you. So many people, we got to preach the gospel without words. So many people came to us on the beach and said, What is this? What are you guys doing? And, but it took courage. There was risk. You have to understand, he can't talk. He can't, like, you know, so if, he, if we wipe out, 
I have to do some, you know, stuff of getting the water out of his lungs because he will not, you know, like close his mouth. He'll just let the water go right in. There was risk. There was courage. But it was in the name of love. It was the name of having a father surf with his sons. And courage is something that is required for you to run after that you don't wait. You don't say, oh, well, I'll do that tomorrow. That I don't know if you noticed, but Steve, he passed and graduated in October of 2021. That it took courage. It took finances that we personally invested in. We didn't raise the money. It was inconvenient. So Lord, I pray for courage in this room. I pray, Lord, that you would give people in this room strategies and wineskins to let your light shine in your community where people will be running towards the light. Lord, release courage and release love in Australia. And that you wouldn't despise the day of small beginnings. That the first step is the hardest step of all. But it's time to move forward in courage. That you would move forward towards the enemy. But you're not consumed with the enemy. You're consumed with the one that has your back. The one that goes before you. So Lord, break a spirit of fear. Anyone that's dealing with fear, that they would just feel wrapped in love, perfect love. So Father, crash in. And that we would recognize the things that make us laugh, the things that scare us, and the things that make us cry. That those are invitations. Those are sweet spots. And I pray, Lord, that we would be connected to our sweet spots. So, Lord, crash in. Just crash in this morning. That we would recognize the things that scare us, and we would not choose to worship fear, to give fear attention, but we would lead into you, the one that brings courage. Amen. I know that uh, it's probably time to get kids. We're eight minutes over, but Lord, we thank you for courageous ones. So Lord, wreck us. Lord, that this would just be the beginning. That you are powerful, courageous people. That you wouldn't wait for others. That you would begin to find your armor bearers. You begin to find giant killers that David killed Goliath, but Goliath had four brothers. And it was David's mighty men that killed Goliath's brothers. Lord, I pray for Jonathan David relationships in this room. 
The giant killers aren't meant to be living alone. Amen.